We're going to talk about Samuel this morning as we talk about Father's Day, right? And um, now Samuel is not, a, not an example of a good father, but he is an example of fatherhood to the nation of Israel. Seems like he got it right in his public ministry, uh, and, and maybe he didn't get it so right at home. But I want to take just four principles from him as he dealt with the nation of Israel and as he worked with them, and just apply those things to us uh, as fathers. And I think it'll be a help to you. Uh, they're certainly a help and an encouragement to me. <clears throat> 1 Samuel chapter 12, though, we're starting in verse 16. And let me uh, bring you up to speed before we actually begin to look at it. In, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, the nation of Israel have rejected Samuel. They have decided they want a king. Sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 16, not chapter 16. Um, but they have rejected Samuel. They want a king like all the other nations. They want somebody to go to battle, somebody who's going to be a figurehead, somebody who's going to represent them on the world stage, so to speak. And they have rejected Samuel. Now, Samuel is grieved about the whole thing. And he goes to God with it, and God tells him, listen, Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. They don't want me to rule over them. But I want you to tell them the kind of king they're going to have and what it's going to cost them. And so Samuel does, but they push for it, and they want it, and... So God does it. You know, there's a lesson for us in there, and it's not the lesson we're looking at today. Even if you can push God hard enough for something, and he might give it to you, but it might not be the best thing for you. Um, you know, we, we, we talk about the permissive will of God, and God's, there's God's will for us and God's permissive will for us. I don't know that his per- permissive will is really his will for us. I think he lets us do some things that are not good for us. Uh, sometimes because we push, but uh, that, that's what the nation of Israel get. <clears throat> they get um, this king uh, they were looking for, but... <clears throat> In 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 16, they realize they've done wrong. And now Samuel is dealing with the issue before them. And we're going to take some, some principles from here. All right? So 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 16. Now therefore stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is not wheat harvest today? I will call unto the Lord and he shall send thunder and rain that ye may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which ye have done in the sight of the Lord in asking you a king. Right Now, the time of the wheat harvest uh, in June was the dry season. We don't understand these kind of... We really have a hard time understanding weather and patterns in Israel. It just never rained in June. That just didn't happen. I mean, <clears throat> that, that was impossible. But not only is it going to rain, uh, but there's going to be thunder and lightning, and there's going to be hail. God is going to give them a demonstration uh, of his power. So Samuel called unto the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. They feared the Lord. And all the people said unto Samuel, Pray for thy servants unto the Lord thy God, that we die not. For we have added unto all our sins this evil to ask us a king. And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not. Ye have done all this wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And turn ye not aside, for then should ye go after vain things which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things he hath done for you. But if ye shall do wickedly, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king. Let's pray. Father, would you bless us now this morning as we uh, look to you, Lord. We depend upon you, Lord, for uh, mercy in receiving your word, for mercy in preaching your word, for power. 
Lord, we ask you that you would just work, that you would encourage our hearts in the great work that you've called us to. And Lord, that you would encourage each one of us, Lord, uh, to be grateful to you ultimately for all that you've done. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Let me give you an illustration before we uh, get going on our message proper, right? Uh, one father had a three-year-old daughter who was having trouble sleeping through the night. Now, you fathers, you, you, you know what that's, that's like, right? you got somebody who's half so you, you talk to them. So this father talked to the child, and he said, you need to pray and ask the Lord uh, to comfort you during those times. Um, you, 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 you need to stop fearing and rather start praying. So finally, you know, that's going on and on. Finally, one night, uh, she comes in again and he says to her, now, did you ask the Lord uh, to help you? And she said, yes, he did. He told me to come and get you. <laughs> now, um, that's kind of the picture fathers have in our minds and in our hearts. There's somebody you can depend upon, somebody you can look to, somebody who, who will take care of you. Now, I realize, you know, all our fathers weren't that. None of our fathers got it all right because they're human fathers. They, they, they all missed it. They, they, they all got things uh, that were wrong. Um, but the idea of a father is a name that's given to us of God. Ultimately, fathers point to the Lord. Now, do not let the picture of the father that you have stand between you and the perfect father, which is God. Don't let that picture. I mean, I understand it's a real help in our lives when our fathers, you know, point, our pointers pointing to, towards God. When our fathers actually help us to come to that place. But don't, 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 don't come to the place where because you're disillusioned with your father that, you know, you look at him and you think, uh, well, you know what? God's probably the same. God's not the same. God's a perfect father. God will always take care of you. The nation of Israel are here and they're... <clears throat> They have done wrong. It's a grievous thing they've done, by the way. You know, in looking for a king to, uh, to lead them, what they were saying was, we don't like the king we have. Because they had a king. Now, Samuel wasn't their king. Samuel was the prophet. Samuel was the judge. Samuel was the one that spoke to them from God. But God was their king. And he led through Samuel. And when they decided they didn't want Samuel, that they wanted a king, what they were doing is they were rejecting God. They were saying they didn't want God. Now, Israel did that over and over and over again. Uh, they rejected God. And, you know, we need to understand that we can do that too. We can reject God from ruling over us. We can decide we don't want Him ruling over us. We don't want Him leading in our lives. And we can do ourselves great damage when we do that. And one of the reasons people reject God's leadership and fatherhood in their lives is because you know what? They've got fathers that they were disillusioned with. If that's you this morning, I want you to kind of put that aside and, and look to the Lord as your father. Um, what we'll see, we'll see in the way Samuel deals with the people here, we'll get a glimpse of this father that we're talking about that will help us. And we'll get an, an, an encouragement and a challenge to those of us who are fathers to be the right kind of father. All right. First of all, Samuel was a judge for the nation of Israel. Now, this is pretty important to us. Uh, Samuel was the one that laid down the law, that brought the law from God. He was the judge. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? Now, this is in chapter 16 when it's dealing with putting David on the throne. But the thought I want you to catch here is when Samuel came, they were afraid. Are you coming peaceably? Or are you coming to sort us out? 
Let me say to you fathers, fathers, there needs to be uh, in your life somewhat of a judge. You need to be the boundary setter. You need to be the voice for God in your home. You need to be the one that speaks for God and that is the enforcer as far as that's concerned. And that's not a title or a position that fathers like in this day and age. We'd much sooner be friends with our kids. That's the spirit of our age. Be friends with our kids. You know, just kind of, I'll go along with them and help them out and be nice to them and ultimately you'll win them. That's not true. And that really is not true. We'll, we'll look at some illustrations that will help us with that. But there needs to be in the home somewhat of a fear of dad. Now, uh, we'll, we'll temper that in a minute. Uh, but, but your children need to see, you know what? You don't mess with dad. That's important. The Bible says you should honor your mother and your father. And that's the best thing you can do for your kids is teach them to do that. But there needs to be somewhat of a fear because you are the one that lays down the law in the home. And when the law isn't kept, you're the one that actually uh, makes it cost for not keeping it. Set boundaries in your children's life. There ought to be things in your children's life they can do and they can't do. There ought to be in your child's life some things that, I wouldn't dare do that. If I did that, my dad would kill me. There ought to be some things in, in their lives like that. There ought to be some things, some boundaries out there that they look at and they say, you know what, I'm not doing that. It just wouldn't be worth doing that in my house. Now, in order for you to do that, you have to be the judge in the home. You have to lay down the law. You have to lay down the rules. You have to enforce the rules. You have to keep them uh, keep them true. Uh, there needs to be discipline in your home. There needs to be a cost for breaking the rules. That, 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 that's just if you, you What you're doing here is you're laying the basis for lives that are going to look to God. And, you know, God deals with us like that. Does God let you get away with scot-free with everything you do? Listen, if he does with you, he certainly doesn't with me. No, he doesn't. He's a good heavenly father. What happens is he steps in and he deals with us when we do wrong. He steps in and he works in our lives uh, when we get it wrong. And that's, you need to face up that responsibility. And I realize in the day and age that we live, everything is against you doing that. Everything is against you being so prideful as to think that you know best. If you don't know best, who does, your kids? Isn't that a scary thought now, for any parent? I mean, how many of you have a child that thinks they know what's best? <laughs> I, I, had a, I had four kids that all thought they knew what was best at uh, one time or another. Uh, your kids don't know best. You do. That's why God puts you there. Because he wants you to be in charge. He wants you to be the responsible one. He wants you to be the one that they're accountable to. And that's a responsibility the Father has to actually embrace and take on board. No, we're not arguing as equals here. I'm dad. You're the kid. I will listen to you. I will talk to you. But ultimately, we're going to do what I think is best. And there needs to be in your home that, that kind of fear of dad. I remember as kids when my mother would say, "Will your father comes home. Oh, that was a bad day. <clears throat> that was a bad day. You know, because when he came home, the law was walking in the door. And, um, you know, he exercised uh, uh, the law in our home, you know. Now, he was a good father. Much better than I thought at the time, by the way. And by the way, that's something you've got to face up to, too. Your kids are not necessarily going to like it uh, when you're a good judge in the home, when, you're a good, <clears throat> when you do that work in the home. They're not necessarily going to embrace it. Um, <clears throat> but the reality is they need it. Uh, let me read you, <clears throat> again, an illustration here uh, that I found helpful. A study was done about 10 years ago, 
and it found that conservative Christian parents whose parenting style could be described as authoritarian raised some of the most well-adjusted kids. A researcher named Wilcox examined data from the National Survey of Families and Household, discovered that the houses of conservative religious parents were characterized uh, both by strict discipline and an unusually warm and expressive style of parenting, parent-child interaction. So the strict discipline and warmth at the same time, an interaction going on between the families, right? He found that m- most conservative religious parents were authoritative, which he described as having consistent and firm discipline as well as high levels uh, of warmth. Uh, in other words, the dads in these homes set a firm pattern for what was and was not acceptable, and they were more involved in their children's lives. Right? Successful families have discipline in them. Let me read you another one or tell you another one. James Dobson uh, reported on a study. <clears> there <throat> was a school, and the, the school teachers came to the place where they were, they were, they were upset by the chain-link fence that was around the school. And they thought it was restrictive and it was keeping the kids in. It was giving off the wrong signal. So they took down the chain link fence. And you know what the kids did? The kids huddled in the center of the field. They had lost their protection. And you see, kids need protection. And Dad, you know, you, you bring protection into their lives when you set boundaries for them. There are certain things that you cannot do that you will not do. You, you bring the, now, there's got to be discipline to back that up. Because every one of our beautiful little children has a sin nature. And every one of them, in their own quiet way, will push the boundaries to see where they really are. And if you say the boundary is here, but the boundary is kind of a lot further down, they're going to find that out pretty quickly. And if you say there's a boundary and there really is no boundary, I'll tell you what, they'll find that one out too. And they will ignore your boundaries completely. But what happens is two things. First of all, they become insecure because they don't know where the limits in their lives are. And they're not able to set them for themselves. So they become insecure. And the second thing is, your home becomes a battleground. Because they're not actually able to... You're, you're not setting it, and they're not setting it. And so they come to the place where, they're, where they, they, they don't know where they're going or what they're doing. You need to set strong boundaries in your, in, your, in your home. And you need to keep them, insist that they're kept. That's an important role of being a father. Now, let, let, let me give you a warning on this. Right? The Bible says this. It says, don't provoke them to wrath. Now, you've got to set discipline, and you've got to make them keep the boundaries. You've got to do those things. But don't do it in such a way that you provoke your children to wrath. Now, how will you do that? Let me give you three quick ways of doing that. First of all, if you do it in an angry way. If you're angry with your kids, you're angry with them over this, and you're angry with them over that, what's going to happen for your kids is they're going to be provoked to wrath. They're going to get mad at you. They're going to be looking at you and thinking you someday will be bigger than you, and I'll sort you out then. <clears throat> you know, don't deal with your children in anger. Don't deal with them ever in anger. Deal with them as the instrument of God in their lives. Deal with them because this is what God requires of you, and God requires of them, and so you're going to deal. Deal with them in a calm, careful way. Never deal with a child in anger. Secondly, <clears throat> don't be inconsistent. Now, let me say this to you. Those of you that have young children are dealing with young children. This is the hardest part of raising children. Just being consistent. You know, just laying down the rules and keeping the rules. And your kids know. You know what? <clears throat> they know if there's a reasonable chance of them getting by with it. And so they'll try it. You need to be consistent. You need to do it the same 
all the time with them. This is wrong. This is not going up. There needs to be a consistency uh, in the way you deal with your children. And, and the other thing is, don't show favoritism. Right? Now look, for one reason or another, it's very easy for you to come to the place where one child appeals to you more than the other. Dad's maybe a little girl that flatters you and makes you feel good, and so you know what? Uh, she appeals to you, so you treat her differently than you treat the boys. Do you think she doesn't know it and they don't know it? Favoritism will kill your home. Favoritism will make your kids, provoke your kids to wrath and make them, put them in the place where they're getting angry uh, with you. Sometimes they carry that, that scar all the way through their lives. Don't show favoritism in your home. Deal with an even hand. Listen, it's not just one of your kids that's rebellious. They're all rebellious. That's what the Bible says. Some of them have nice rebellion. Some of them have good, nice ways of getting their own way, uh, and some of them have in-your-face ways of getting their own way, and it's very easy for you to react to the in-your-face child and kind of go after him. But you know what? You need to deal with all of your kids consistently. Now, let me say this when I talk about consistency. That doesn't mean you, you deal with them with the same punishment all the time. You know, because <clears throat> you don't need to do all the same things. Some kids, they're tough, and you, they, 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 they will force you to go further. And by the way, dealing with a child is when you get that lovely, soft will that's yielded. If you don't get to that point, you've just made them angry. But it may take a lot for one kid. It may not take so much with another kid. But do deal with your kids. Be consistent. Don't show favoritism. And don't get angry. Angry is going to to not produce what you want. The wrath of man produces not the righteousness of God. It will go against you. <clears throat> but you need to be a judge in the home. You need to step up to that responsibility uh, that God has given you, regardless of what the world says. You know, regardless of how, how they're all telling you to be the friend of your child, you need to be a judge in the home. You need to set the boundaries and set the rules. You know, we're dealing with a situation right now you know, when teachers can't teach in schools. And you say, well, that's an educational problem. It's not. It's actually a parental problem. Um, because parents need to have their children, that their children know, you know what, you don't get away with that. You need, you need to do right. That, that, that's a parental problem. Dads, you need to deal with that one, right? <clears throat> Secondly, though, about Samuel, Samuel reminded Israel of God's love for them. Look what he says there <clears throat> in verse 22. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Do you know what? The, the Lord took Israel on, not because they were such a good people. Not because they were the best, not because they were the biggest, not because they were the strongest. He took Israel on because it pleased him, because he loved them. Now you say, well, why did he love Israel more than he loved anyone? There's no answer to that. But God loved Israel. God loved this nation. And if you watch through the Old Testament, his gentle, careful dealing with this people, you and I would have thrown our hats at it a long time ago. You say, well, there's a couple of times God God wanted it too. Yeah, there is. But you know what? God knew what Moses was going to do on those occasions. And before uh, it happened, God knew he was going to relent. Because God, how can you repent if you know you're going to repent? Anyway, that's a different study, all right? Uh, But God God knew. God loved this nation. He loved this people. He still loves them today. I mean, uh, there's coming a day when, when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back and rule through Israel. So God loves this people. And Samuel was telling them, listen, he won't forsake you. He loves you. Now, you know what? In our Christian homes, we need to have our families constantly reminded of the love of God. 
There's got to be discipline. There's got to be the judge. There's got to be the right and the wrong. But there's got to be love. God loves these kids. What will keep your kids long after your rules have been left behind will be the fact that God loves them. That's the thing it's, it's impossible to get away from. God loves I mean, that's, that's a hard job for a child to actually break free from the fact that God loves them. And your home needs to be filled with that. Our homes need to be <clears throat> places that are bathed in love. You know, where everybody is loved. You know, we talked some time ago about building an oasis. Creating a place in your home where it was safe to be, where it was good to be. Where your kids, when they came home, they could relax because they were loved. Don't let the discipline become so overbearing that it overshadows the love. Because if you do, what will happen is you'll make your, 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 your home a place where they don't want to be. They want to be somewhere else where somebody's not always on their cases. You know, if we deal with discipline right, we're not going to have to deal with it all day, every day. If we deal with discipline right, we're going to, have, we're going to be in the place where, you know what, listen... When it's done, it's done. Everybody knows it was done. Everybody's walking on eggshells for a little while, but you know what? It doesn't have to be every day. Don't let your home come to become a place where, you know, the fear is the dominant. There needs to be the fear, but the fear needs to have alongside of it a love. So that it's not just they fear dad, but they fear breaking the relationship with dad. They fear things getting nasty between you because, you know, the, the normal life in, in the home ought to be one of love. Ought to be one where there's lots of love going around. Now, from my set, from, from my point, the, the hardest thing about producing love in my home was, you know what, I had stuff in me that needed to get dealt with. I couldn't do what wasn't in me. And it took God working in my heart. And God's got to work in your heart, Dad, and work you to the place where you can really love where your family feels safe around you, where they feel like you love them and you care for them and you're there for them. But that's hugely important to our kids that we actually be in the place where our families know they are loved. Is that the atmosphere in your home? The atmosphere of love? You know, are your children kind of aware of that? That when they come home, they're loved? Maybe you need to ask God, what do I need to do to create that? Maybe you need to talk to your kids about it. You know, but there needs to be an atmosphere of love in your home. Dad, deal with your own problems so that you can love your kids. If, the, if there was no other reason for you dealing with your problems, deal with your issues so that you can love your kids, so that you can be unfettered and you can actually love your kids. And then number three, why don't you see this, see this about Samuel? Samuel modeled right living for Israel. Now, Israel at this point were asking for a king. And God has told them what it's going to cost them to have a king. God has told them how much this is going to cost them and how, you know, how they're going to lose this and this and this and this and this, right? Uh, but in Samuel, in 1 Samuel 12, verse 3, defending uh, his own ministry, Samuel says, Behold, here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose ass have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Or whom have I oppressed? Or of whose hand have I received any bribe to blind mine eyes therewith? And I will restore it to you. He's saying, okay, what have I done wrong? You're rejecting me. You don't want me to be your leader anymore. What have I done? What have I taken from you? Have I taken somebody's ass? Have I taken? No, you can't point to anything. I I haven't done anything. Dad, you know, when it comes to how your children live, 
And they're going to watch what you do and watch how you live. And your kids, from a very young age, become experts in you. They know you. They live with you. They see when you get up in the morning. They see when you go to bed at night. They see what you do. And the things you don't even think they know about you, they do, because they're around you all the time. It's amazing how much your kids can actually get to know about you. Right? They will know the inner you like few people do, because they live closer to you than anybody else does. Now, <clears throat> there's no point in you telling them what to do and doing something else. It's not going to happen. Right? No point in somebody standing, dragging on a cigarette, and telling their kids, now don't do this. This is bad for you, while they're dragging on it. You know what? You, you, you've just made it doubly interest, interesting for them, because they, first of all, they're seeing you doing it, and then you've told them not to do it. Uh, so, so what you've done is, uh, instead of uh, making it harder for them to do, you've made it easier for them to do. Same is true in everything in your life. You're doing wrong, they're going to look at the wrong you're doing, and they're going to want to do it. That's just, that's just the way it is. Well, what's your attitude to authority in your life? You say, well, that, that's different. My kid's going to respect me, but no, I don't respect authority. You're on a loser there. Because what's happening is they'll do what they see you doing. Um, what's your attitude to mom? How do you treat mom? Uh, do you love mom in a, in a real, in a right, in a proper way? Because if you don't, your kids are going to see that, and they're going to take that as their pattern for how they treat their wives. Now, by the way, let me say this, kids. You have no excuse for saying, well, my dad did it. That's not your excuse. You've you're, you got to look to the Lord. And kids can change and be different even if dad doesn't. But dad, you make it so much harder for them if you won't live right. You've got to live right. You've got to be in the place where you live right and where you uh, do right. You've you got to walk with God. You've got to have a, a, a demonstrated experiential walk with God. Now, what do I mean by that? You've got to know God. And if you know God and walk with God, the people who live that close to you are going to see it. They're going to know, you know, this man actually walks with God. God's really important to him. It's not a case of you putting on a show for them, because they won't buy the show. It's a case of it being real for you. Probably the best thing you could do for your home is walk with God in a demonstrated, experiential relationship. Show them God's real. I talked to him today. Show them the reality of God in your life. you got to walk with God. <clears throat> Let me ask, encourage you to do this too. Be a giver in the home, not a taker. Be a giver, not a taker. Yeah, you're the leader. And yes, you need to be honored. And yes, there needs to be that fear of you there. But you know what? When it comes to who gets... Less. It shouldn't be the kids all the time. It should be you, at least sometimes. And they ought to know that. That when it comes down to it, you'll give to them. That they're important. Because what you're teaching them there is you're teaching them to be givers. You're teaching them to yield of themselves. You're teaching them not to demand their own way and not to do what's best. Listen, kids are selfish. Kids, listen, <clears throat> by their very natures. They are selfish. I mean, Ori's been sick this week, and in all honesty, most of his kids, now Ruthie's getting to the place where she cares, but the rest of them don't notice. It's just their lives, and they want it. But you know what, Dad, when you step into the situation, and you're giving, you're giving to Mom, you're giving to the kids, you're, you, you, they, they see you sacrificing, and you stepping by, not being a martyr, but you just saying, you know what, listen, I, I want you to have it. And you're, you know what, you teach them something that's invaluable to them. 
a giver in the home, uh, not a taker. Don't use your position of authority to make the home center around you. If you do, uh, you'll derail the Christianity of your marriage and your home. It won't be an oasis. It won't be a place where people can live in comfort, right? <clears throat> and then, number three here, be honest when you get it wrong. Right? <clears throat> You're not perfect. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to get it wrong. I'm going to get it wrong. When you get it wrong, just be honest. Now, I realize oftentimes that's the hardest thing in the world for us. And by the way, the fact that it's so hard is a clear demonstration of how proud we are. Because that's the only single reason why we won't actually get it right. Uh, <clears throat> when you get it wrong, be honest about it. You know, <clears throat> you will impact a child's life so much by humbly saying, Daddy was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. That is not a good thing for me to do. I, I, I want you to forgive me and pray for me because I'm going to try and never do that again. You know, if you can actually humble yourself and do that with your kid, uh, it'll do two things. It'll really impact the child. But you know what? You won't want to be doing that often. You won't want to be getting to the place where you'll, you'll be on your guard watching that you don't do that kind of stuff. <clears throat> but you need to be honest when you get it wrong. Live right. Give your kids a, <clears throat> an example of how to live. They're not going to get it all right. But you know what? I mean, you get it wrong, you can get it right again. But they've got to confess it. They've got to make it right. And you've got to give them an example of doing that. And then number four. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> Pray for your children. Samuel <clears throat> said this, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. One thing Samuel assured the nation of Israel, he said this, he said, I will pray for you. It will be a sin for me not to pray for you. I will pray for you. That's we need to pray for our kids. And they need to know that we're praying for them. You know, as I look back on raising my family, and we're, we're, we're almost there now, uh, Beth turns 21 this year. Can you imagine? <clears throat> that is just incredible, isn't it? Well, we're almost there now, but <clears throat> I made lots of mistakes. I made enough mistakes to send them all in the wrong direction. But they all love God. Y you know what that is? That's mercy. That's God touching lives with mercy. And what you've got to do is you've got to understand you're not going to get it all right. You're going to miss it royally at times. But you're going to cry out to the Lord and you're going to ask Him to step in and to deal with the things that you haven't been able to deal with. And to deal with you and be humble before Him. You're going to pray for your kids. That's probably going to have a greater impact on your kids than anything else you do. The fact that you pray for them. The fact that you bring them before the throne, I'll tell you what, it's humbling when you bring the needs and the burdens of your kids before the throne, especially when you realize that you're responsible for them. <clears throat> but you need to pray for your kids. You know, we often hear about the power of mother's prayers. Dad's powers, prayers are pretty powerful too. Dad's powers can touch the throne for a child. I mean, in a sense, you're the high priest in your home. And the high priest has that responsibility of, of, of taking his family before God and praying for them. Lord, work in their hearts and lives. Lord, that, so that you notice when things are going wrong and you begin to pray that God would deal with those things. <clears throat> and don't quit. 
You know, I, when, when, when things are not going right, we have, the, we have this ability, you know, we, we, we'll try and try for, for maybe a month. That's a long time in our lives, you know. <clears throat> and um, then we give up. Listen, keep praying. You say, how long should I pray? As long as you have breath. Your kids are too important to let go. And God's too powerful for your kids ever to get beyond his reach. Keep praying. God can take and God can turn them around. God can do great things in, in, in their lives. Listen, every father in this room has missed it at some point. Every father in this room has gotten it wrong. Every father in this room you know, has done things in the home that you look back on and you say, I wish I hadn't done that. And, but you know what? You can come and you can get forgiveness and you can pray and you can ask God to turn things around in your children's lives. And God can do it. God works at that. God's in that business. God can change the hearts of children. Yeah, there's a promise. You know, that, that, that train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And in order for you to let go, you've got to get rid of the promise. You've got to say, well, the promise doesn't count. Now, it may not look like your kid's going to do right. It may not look like that child wants to do right. And they may not want to do right. It amazes me how many kids raised in Christian homes come to a certain point in their lives where they decide they don't want to be Christian. They wish they'd never become Christians. They wish they... But you know what? It's not over. And if they're His, He's dealing with it and you can pray. And you can have an impact and you can have a part in their lives. You can actually see God turn your child's heart around. Look, <clears throat> listen, be a judge in your home. Let that be the reality that your family knows. There's somebody who's in touch with God and He says what goes... And when we don't do it, there's a cost. Model love in your home for your children. <clears throat> Be loving. Create a loving atmosphere. Being a judge and being loving are not opposites. They actually go hand in hand. Create those two things in your home. Live right. You should seek to be a growing moving believer where you're growing and you're getting a handle on God and you're dealing with sin in your life and you're, and you're, and you're getting the victory. You should seek to be that. If for no other reason then you've got a family that are looking at you and you're influencing. You want to seek to be a growing Christian and then pray for your children. And listen, the, what can happen in your family is only limited by the power of the Almighty. And there is no limit to His power. So don't give up. Don't quit. Now, let me give you an illustration before we close here. Right? Um, last month, there was <clears throat> a man died in Artain. He lived in Artain on the north side of, uh, of Dublin. And the, the music world almost came to a standstill because this man died. This guy was Larry Mullen. And his son was the, the drummer for U2. They were just about to open their world concert. And because he died, the concert was in, uh, in doubt. They weren't sure they were going to be able to go ahead with, 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 with the opening of the concert. Well, end up they did. But what they did was the whole band, U2, stopped what they were doing, their practice and everything else. And they got on a plane and they, they all came home to bury this man. And the comment was made, right, a great tree has fallen. Right? Now I saw the picture. This old man was 92. He didn't look like a great tree to me. He didn't look that big to me. But you know, he almost ground the whole music world uh, to a halt when he died. Now, why was he a great tree? He was a great tree because he was dad. 
That's what he was. He wasn't some wonderful, fantastic, superhuman being. He was dad. And I got to thinking about it, you know, all dads are great trees. All dads are... The impact we have on our kids is just huge. Now, <clears throat> you and I will die. And we'll rapidly be forgotten. <laughs> That's the reality of it. Some certain few people will try to keep our, our memories alive, but there will only be a few. And, and they will die, and our memory will fade. And, but you know what's going to go on? The impact that you have in lives around you. The impact that you have on your kids. That's what's, that's what's going to go on. Now, <clears throat> let me encourage you to do this, fathers. Strive to have the best impact that you can possibly have. You're not going to get it right all the time. You're not going to be perfect. But strive to have the best impact, to leave an impression of Christ upon your children that lasts long after you're gone. Seek, make that your goal. Make that your ambition. Make that your heart. And secondly, <clears throat> to all of us that have fathers, you know what, your father's a great tree. You say, oh, hang on a minute, you know, he's this and he's that. I know. I understand. I understand he's got faults and failings. And, and some, of, some of your fathers have horrific failings. I understand that. I know that. But you know what? They're still going to have an impact on your life. Today, if you can at all, recognize them for the impact that they have in your life. Because there comes a day when the great tree has fallen, when it's gone. When Dad's gone. And that chance is over. And if you have a chance to interact with him today and to thank him for the impact he's had on your life, and you can possibly do that. And I realize some situations are pretty drastic in that sense. But if you can possibly do that, then today, make an effort to do that. Let me say this to you, too. You know, it's not always the biological father that's the one that's actually had the impact on somebody's life. Usually, there's, sometimes there's somebody else who's stepped in and taken that role in somebody's life. And even though men are men, if there's somebody in your life like that, today, make an effort and actually thank him for what he's done in your life. Because one day he'll be gone. You know, what brought this to mind was just thinking back about my own father. My own father was, he was not a saved man during, when I was growing up. I think he trusted Christ uh, later in his life. But he had this. He was a good man. And he wanted to do right. But all he knew to do, I don't know if he ever read a, read a book on parenting. His generation didn't. He just did what his parents did. And I look back over my life at the impact he's had on my life. I didn't realize it when I was a kid. I'm glad there wasn't a child line because there was a couple of times I would have called child line on my father. Right? Uh, <clears throat> but you know what? The impact he had on my life is just, it, it seems like it's more as the years go by. So if he's around today, you can actually thank him for it. I would encourage you to do that. And fathers, be the best father you can possibly be. Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, we do come to you today. Thank you, Lord, for the fathers you've given us, for the ones that have stepped into our lives, for the ones that have helped us and nurtured us and cared for us. And we thank you, Lord, for uh, the example they've been, Lord, and for the trees you've made them in our lives. Now, blessed Spirit of the living God, 
would you help each father here today, Lord, to renew himself and strengthen himself to be the best man, best father, best example, uh, <clears throat> to create the most lasting impact he possibly can upon his children? And Lord, would you help each one of us here have a father that we can recognize today, to, <clears throat> to thank them today, and to spend that time honoring them. Now, Lord, we love you. We thank you that above all this and beyond all this, we have a Father in heaven who is perfect, who never gets it wrong, who never misses out on loving us and never misses out on disciplining us when we need it either. Thank you that your hand is there, that you provide for us, that you care for us, and Lord, that our lives are bound up in yours. Lord, would you bless us and help us to go with happy hearts today because you're there. Your hand and your power rests upon us in Jesus' precious name. Amen.